Okay, well, today's scripture is Matthew 23, 1 through 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Amen. Well, I'm looking forward to this 80s party, too. Uh, it's funny. It's like, man, the more we age, it's like, I'm guessing most people in this church <laughs> don't remember the 80s at all, uh, but it'd be fun to celebrate my wardrobe. I don't have to look too far to find a costume for that. Um, and hey, if you're someone who just heard that we just recently had about 100 people sign up since our last volunteer appreciation, and you're going, oh, I think they got that covered. No, there's a lot of opportunity uh, first of all, we, we try to uh, have rotations set up so that we have, we're able to serve in a healthy, sustainable way. But more than that, we're gearing up for moving to a second gathering in the new year. So there's a lot of fun things happening, and we'd love to have you uh, help us as a church uh, do that together. Uh, there's a big echo in my ear. Are you guys hearing that too? Uh, I'll keep talking here. If you want me to switch to the, the regular hold guy, I can, I can do that too. In fact... You want to just switch to it? You tell me. This guy? All right, cool. All right. Um, every so often, someone will say around me, I'm not big on religion. And I love when they say that because uh, I usually respond with something like, yeah, me too. I'm not big on religion. And uh, if, they, if they know what I do for a living, it makes it just all the better because they, they'll say something like, wait a minute, aren't you a pastor? You're not big on religion? Didn't you start a church? And uh, I'll say, actually, I also was a pastor's kid. So I had a front row seat to see just a lot of the ways that, sadly, religion can really have an impact negatively uh, towards people, Uh, just cause a lot of pain and and hurt in the world. So I'm not big on religion, I'll say, but I am big on Jesus. And uh, I don't find it coincidence that when you look at the scriptures, and particularly the life and ministry of Jesus, the time, Jesus, who is normally very calm, gentle, patient in his temperament, the times when he really kind of opened up and got animated, the times when he really just got in your face, and I mean that, really in your face, just happened to be with the people who were religious in nature, the religious leaders. I don't find that coincidence. In fact, I believe that that's no coincidence at all. And what we see in the text in front of us today is Jesus talking to the crowds, these people, these, these spiritual onlookers, as well as his own disciples. That's what we're told in the very first verse. He's talking to his own followers and using the religious leaders as examples, saying, don't you dare be like them. 
Because if you, if you, you be like them, if you become like them, then you're going to make your relationship with God out to be something that it entirely is not about. You will completely miss it. And so he uses religious religion, this idea of religion, as, as really a means of understanding, no, let's, let's get at what, what the heart is, what it's all about, and understand what, what the gospel truly is. And I have to think that the point of a text like the one in front of us is it is frighteningly easy for Christians, including very, quote-unquote, mature Christians, to fall into the trap of a religious mindset. It's really easy to be somebody who believes the Bible, believes the gospel, and yet follow into the, fall into the same trap the religious leaders fell into that Jesus is denouncing in this text. So we've got to lean in because religion has caused a lot of pain out there. Jesus wants us to understand that that nature is also in us. We've got to pay attention to it. And so we're going to look at that today and understand how it is Jesus calls us into not living with a religious mindset, not falling into that, into that trap. Specifically, we're going to talk about three antidotes that I believe we see in this text that Jesus gives us to avoid falling into this religious trap. We'll define our terms, but we're going to look at three antidotes to, falling, to avoid falling into this religious uh, trap. But first, let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for this opportunity to get together and uh, worship you. Thank you for... Uh, just all the ways that you bless us and take care of us as a church, even on the tail end of this Thanksgiving weekend, we have so much to be thankful for. You're so kind to us in many more ways than, than we deserve. So we say thank you. And Father, as we turn now to your words, would you please open it to us and help us understand what it is you have in front of us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm still hearing a major echo and it's really hard to keep my thought, which is totally fine. I'll, I'll power through. But if you're able to help me with that echo, that'd be, that'd be awesome. All right, so three antidotes for not falling into the religious mindset of a trap. In verse 1, we're told, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on the other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. All right, so first antidote to avoiding this religious mindset of a trap. Number one, remember the gospel. The first antidote to not falling into this religious trap is, trap is to remember, to remember, to remember the gospel. Uh, if you were here last week, you know we defined our terms this way. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm loved. But the gospel says, I'm loved, therefore I obey. And what Jesus is speaking into when it comes to this, this religious mindset, the religious leaders of his day were basically saying, you better obey. You better do the things that God calls you to do and do them well. And you better avoid the things that God calls you not to do. And you better do that well or else. To summarize it or simplify it into just a real easy way to think about it, he was saying, they were saying, a relationship with God is essentially a list of rules of do's and don'ts. You got to do these things. You got to avoid these things. And to the extent you do these things, it'll go well for you. To the extent you don't, well, it's not going to go so well for you because God's going to give you his blessing. He's going to give you his curse if you do or you don't do what he's calling you to. But what Jesus, what Jesus is saying in verse 4 is they are tying, quote, heavy and cumbersome loads and putting these on, on people's shoulders. This idea, this religious framework of I obey, therefore I'm loved, is this, 
is, is a way of trying to earn ourselves into the favor of God, to earn God's love. And Jesus is saying that's going to tie up a heavy load. That's, that's going to be a weight that's crushing upon you. Uh, many years ago, I attended a church that uh, believed the gospel, uh, taught the Bible. But I remember after a period of time that uh, I would always just feel a heavy, a heavy weight on me, particularly when I was driving home Sunday afternoon. And I thought about it for a while. I, didn't, I couldn't put my finger on it for a long time, but I thought about it for a while. I was wondering, why am I feeling this heaviness, particularly on the way home from church every week? Why is that? Is it me? Is it, you know, where do I, where I, where I see it? And I realized that one, at one point, it started to dawn on me where that might have been coming from, at least in, in big part. And that was, every sermon essentially followed this outline. This is an oversimplification. But every sermon was essentially, there's a problem. Here's your part of the problem. <laughs> Here's how you contribute to the problem, and here's the solution, how you can help fix it, right? So there's a problem, you're a part of the problem, here's the solution, how you can be a part of that. And I realized that that was crushing me. That felt like a big, big weight. Why? Because I agreed with essentially every part of every one of those sermons, that there are problems, that I am very much contributing to the problems, and that I need to live in such a way where I'm contributing to the solution of the problems. Is this this making sense? And all of that, in the end, was weighing me down to the point of I was feeling crushed on the way home from home. I was just like, oh, no. But if we end sermons there, so to speak, we are tempted to veer into a religious mindset. What do I mean by that? Here's the problem. Here's how you contribute to the problem. Here's how you can help, help avoid the problem. This is, I obey, therefore I'm loved. We need to go further to the gospel, which is, I am loved, therefore I obey. Here's the problem. Here's how I contribute to the problem. Here's the solution, and here's how the gospel meets us. This is where Jesus precisely meets us with his love and his grace. And whatever problem or whatever solution we're called to be a part of, if all we do is try to willpower our way through or, or behavior modify our way through it, we're doomed. I'm doomed. Jesus is saying the Pharisees are doomed because none of us can do it. But actually, as God calls us to be a part of the things he calls us to be a part of, it, that's precisely where his gospel, his grace His love meets us, and it's through that grace, that love, where we receive forgiveness and power from the inside out to to maybe begin to actually live it out a little bit. Is this making sense? The gospel says, I am loved, therefore I obey. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. Now, to be clear, Jesus says, you got to do what they tell you to do. These, These religious leaders were telling you to do everything that uh, Moses was teaching. They sit in Moses' te- seat, so you gotta, you got to do everything. Jesus is saying you got to do what the Bible teaches you to do because it's God's word after all. But what he's saying is be really careful of making that what your relationship with God is ultimately about. Is this making sense? He's saying if you make it about your ability or inability to do what God calls you to do, which he does call you to do, if that's what is your measure of your relationship with God, well, guess what? You're doomed just with the Pharisees you're doomed, who are... Their entire lives trying to live this out perfectly. You're doomed. I'm doomed. Jesus at one point even said in his most famous sermon, be perfect. If he ended his sermon with those words, we would all be crushed. There's nothing, there's no load heavier than that. Thank God, also in that sermon, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Be perfect. God calls you to do the things that God calls you to do in his word. Absolutely. The Pharisees are right on that part. But understand that it ultimately points you to your need for God. And your need for God is not satisfied in your ability or mine 
to do the, do, do the right things and avoid doing the bad things. It's, it's entirely in what Jesus has done for us. And that's, that's the cumbersome load, the heavy load of sin, the weight of it removed. We must remember the gospel. There's one point where the Apostle Peter was writing to the early church. Thank you, by the way, guys. You did an awesome job getting rid of that echo. I appreciate it. Uh, the Apostle Peter was writing to the early church. And he, they were writing to a group of Christians who were undergoing severe persecution. We're talking, at this point in church history, it's the second letter Peter wrote to the early church. By this time in, in history, Christians were being persecuted to the degree of being imprisoned and martyred for believing in Jesus. And, from all accounts we can tell, they were, doing, they were remaining pretty strong in their faith. So Peter was writing to that group of Christians, Christians who were really in the thick of it and remaining strong in their faith. We're tracking. And yet to these very strong Christians, he said these words, therefore, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. What was Peter in the context of his writing there saying, I will always remind you of these things, even though you're firmly established? He was reminding them of the gospel, these very strong Christians in the face of far more severe persecution than any of us face today where we live. He was saying, you guys need to remember the gospel. Remember, remember, remember that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that everything comes down, your relationship, your, the entirety of your relationship with God comes down to what he accomplished for you, not what you can do on your own. Anything else is a heavy load that you cannot carry. And what Jesus is saying in this text that we cannot miss is you can be a gospel-believing Christian, Bible-believing Christian, a follower of his, one of his quote-unquote disciples, and easily miss that. Or easily veer away from that into the trap of the religious mindset of the Pharisees. Perhaps the greatest uh, teaching of this was when Jesus taught um, the parable of the prodigal son. It's actually a story of two sons. I think most of you guys know the story. The first younger brother gets all the attention, right? He's the one who goes to the father and demands his inheritance early on, saying, I want my inheritance before you die, father, so I can go live it up, which is what he does. Total slap in the face in that culture, all the more. Goes, lives it up, hits rock bottom, you know the story, decides, you know what, I'm going to go back and live with my dad. Maybe he'll take me in as a servant. So he walks back, he sees his dad, and his dad just smothers him with love, smothers him with grace, doesn't take him back as a servant, takes him back as his son. He who was lost is now found. He was, he was dead, essentially, he's now alive. He throws a party for his son, kills the fattened calf, there's a feast, everybody's celebrating, but not the older brother. The older brother's so ticked off, he can't even bring himself to go into the party. Stands outside, and the father goes out to the older son, outside of the feast. He says, son, would you, would you come in? Celebrate. Your younger brother's back. And the older brother goes, dad, how could you? Like I, my whole life, I've been slaving away for you. I've been doing everything. Everything you've asked me to do, I've done it. Everything you've asked me to avoid doing, I haven't done. And, and yet, and you haven't even given me the smallest of cabs to, to celebrate a party for me and my buddies. That's the religious mindset. This guy was saying, man, I have done everything for you. I earn your favor, Father. I, I earned your blessing. And yet you're giving it just so freely to this other guy? Saddest part about that story, it's not my insight. Saddest part about that story, if you really think about it, is the, while the younger brother did end up coming back into the feast and into relationship with the father, Jesus ends the story with the older brother remaining on the outside. We don't know if he ever came back in. That's a, that's a warning if there ever was one. 
to the tune of what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew 23. It's so easy to veer into this mindset. Uh, The late author and pastor Tim Keller wrote this in his book, The Prodigal God. He said, what we need to understand is the hearts of the two brothers were the same. Both sons resented their father's authority and sought ways of getting out of, uh, from underneath it. They each wanted to get into a position in which they could tell the father what to do. Each one, in other words, rebelled. But one did it by being very bad. The other by being extremely good. Both were alienated from the father's heart. Both were lost sons. Do you realize then what Jesus is teaching? Neither son loved the father for himself. They both were using the Father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and serving him for his own sake. This means that you can rebel against God and be alienated from him either by breaking the rules or by keeping all of them diligently. It's a shocking message. Careful obedience to God's law may serve as a strategy against God. Boy, this really strikes home. They both were using the Father for their own self-centered end rather than loving, enjoying, and serving the Father for the Father's own sake. Uh, I've experienced this. There's been times in my life where God has given me the gift of seeing where I've veered into this religious mindset, even even unwittingly, even subconsciously. I've shared this in the past, but when Cindy and I set out to start Current, there's a lot of joys, a lot of excitement, as there were also a lot of challenges. Starting a new endeavor comes with a lot of challenges. Starting a church comes with challenges. In the middle of that, my body also started to deteriorate. A number of you guys know this. I have, a, I have what's now been diagnosed many years later as a rare form of arthritis. So my body's just been given out. Before it was diagnosed, before I got on medication that kind of treats it, uh, I was at the place where, I mean, some of you remember back to the early days when, I was preaching, when we were preaching at the, the senior center there. I was getting up in boots. And I was just like, you know, trying to preach in a boot. And I was thinking in a few weeks' time before I eventually got diagnosed, I was probably going to be on a stool. And it was going in the direction of, I was, I was pretty sure I was probably going to be bedridden pretty, pretty soon. I wasn't able to go out and walks, all that sort of thing. All in the midst of the challenge of starting a church. And in the midst of that, I was just experiencing... I'm setting this up as if I understood all of this very clearly as I went along. A lot of this was hard, it was murky, confusing. But in the midst of all this time too, with all the joys, I was also very deeply upset about things. Down, frustrated, and even angry. Just down, just a a low hum of anger. And I was just trying to think about like, what's going on there? And I'll never forget the gift, and I say this with fear of God in me, not flippantly, the gift of God one day, showing me what was really going on in my heart. Uh, I remember where I was very vividly. I was in prayer. And while I had had all these other narratives in my head, oh, life's so hard because that situation is not working out the way it should be, or that person's doing that when they could do, you know what I'm saying? How we kind of, where our mind goes and the narratives we kind of create or live by in those moments. The Lord gave me the gift of, of getting underneath all of that to the real narrative, which when I finally was willing to confront it was, My anger was directed at God to the tune of, God, how could you do this? How could you let this happen? I'm starting a church for you, and yet you're allowing my body to give? You're allowing? I was, I had fallen into, I had veered into the religious mindset. I had had veered into the, I obey, therefore I am loved. I, have, I, I veered into the Pharisee, 
mindset. I've veered into the older brother of the prodigal son mindset. I had, I had been following God in this way, in the sense that he was a construct in my mind. He was a God that ought to be giving me already things, this and this, or delivering from this, or providing in this way, or healing me in this way. When in the reality, I was saying things like, look what I've done for you, God. If I really started to parse that out for real, I would not want my relationship to be about, look what I've done for you, God. Is that making sense? In this situation, I was ticked off, and that's how I was framing it to him. But in reality, if I was to parse that thought out, I would not want to bring that thought to the Lord. Look what I've done for you. No, the scale's not hanging in my favor in that direction. And at the same time, look what he's done for me. Okay. In reality, I was saying things like, why aren't you doing your part? Oh, my goodness. It's like, yeah, life was hard. I was struggling with some things. But of all the wonderful, incredible things that God had gifted me with, blessed me with, who am I to say, oh, my goodness, like, how could you not provide for me in this way, God? How could you for what I've done? It's so easy, so easy to veer into the religious mindset. So let me ask you, where, where might you today need to remember the gospel? Or to frame this a little bit differently, Jesus says they were, they were placing heavy loads, cumbersome loads on people that were, that were crushing. Where are you experiencing in your life a heavy load? Could that be with a, a work situation that's just not panning out the way that you thought, that you, you think it would or should? Could it be with a living situation? There's probably a good number of people trying to figure that out, living situation here in the Silicon Valley. Could that be with a, a spouse that you just really desire to have, but it's not working out the way you, you think it ought to have or should have or could have? Where are you experiencing a heavy load? You can fill in the blank. There's so many things where you go, God, how could you? Why, why aren't you doing your, I'm doing my part. But we're veering into religion when God is so gracious to us in so many ways that we so often miss or take for granted. We love because he first loved us. We love, therefore we obey. God is so, so good to us. And we, we got to remember the gospel. And I think for some of you, you're probably here today experiencing a heavy load. That load, Jesus doesn't want, you, doesn't want to crush you. In fact, he says, my burden is easy. My, my yoke is light. My bur burden is light. My, my yoke is easy. You can bring it to him. guys. Second antidote, so remember the gospel. Second antidote is live for the audience of one. I've heard it said that way. Kind of cheesy, but I like it. It's helpful. Live for the audience of one. Continuing on, Jesus said this about the religious leaders in verse 5. Everyone, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Clearly, Jesus is saying these religious leaders were living for the approval of others. 
Now, real quickly, when it talks about phylacteries, those were little you know, boxes that they would place on their person with scrolls of scripture on them. And then when it talks about garment, uh, tassels of garment, these are actually things that the Torah called out and said, you should do. You should, you should wear those things. Now, with Jesus' death and resurrection, these things have become obsolete, so we don't do those things today. But in Jesus' time, it's like, yeah, these are, these are good things. There's things that the Bible in that day called out and said, you should do. Okay, fine. But what Jesus was saying, his point was they were taking it to the degree of trying to use these things to garner attention and, and the favor of others. And what Jesus is saying is you got to be real careful of that. We can, we can real easily do that. It's not just the religious that fall into this trap. We, it happens in all areas of life all the time. Uh, recently, I heard one of my mentors, uh, Ben Pilgrim up in San Francisco, uh, put it this way. He said, it's, it is way easier to love and lead people when you don't need their approval. And he was kind of talking about it. He said, he said, you might say, well, I don't, I don't lead in the church. He said, well, this principle is true even if you're leading just one three-year-old. It is way easier to love and lead people when you don't need their approval. That's true if you're a supervisor. It is way easier to lead your team, those of you who supervise others, if you're not living for their approval. That's true for you parents. It's way easier to love and lead your kids when you're not worried about them liking every move you make or others perceiving you as that quote-unquote good parent. This is true for you. This is true for us as a church family. It's way easier for us to impact the Silicon Valley if we're not just living for the applause of every one of its citizens. Uh, Proverbs 29, 25 succinctly puts it this way. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Where might you be falling into the trap of living for the approval of others? Where might you be falling into the trap of living for the fear of, of man? Where does what others think of you or what you perceive others to think of you, where is that, where is that weighing you down? Where is that taking up too much mental real estate to the point of you're, just, you're overly anxious about it or you're drawing your, your, your identity from? Where do you say feel taken for granted? Where do you say feel undervalued? Where do you say feel underappreciated? Look, the point here is not to say if you're underappreciated, un undervalued, you should just roll over and let people do that to you. There's loving and honoring ways to go about doing that if that's the case. The point here, though, is it's so easy to be crushed by the, or, or live by the feeling of needing the approval of others. It's just a, it's a mindset that we can just so easily fall into with side with it coming out sideways and impacting others. You are loved by God. God loves you. This audience of one, this, he's, his opinion of you and his opinion alone is what ultimately matters. And so the call for the Christian, for his followers, to live for him, whether that's in the church, whether that's in the workplace, whether it's in the neighborhood, whether it's the community. Antidote number one to avoiding the Religious mindset trap. Remember the gospel. Antidote two, live for the audience of one. Antidote three, look to be a servant. Look to be a servant. Verse eight, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves 
will be exalted. Now, real quick sidebar, Jesus here, based on other things he said and what's stated elsewhere in the scriptures, is not just carte blanche saying, never call anyone, say, a teacher, or never call anyone an instructor. That's not what his point was. His point is actually more to the degree of saying, don't ever elevate someone into excessive spiritual honor or place of authority. Don't ever elevate somebody to an excessive place of spiritual authority and honor. I feel like I remember a time where my dad was introduced as a guest speaker, and the, the gentleman before him introducing him said, that great man of God, Pastor Alan Collister, would you welcome, welcome him to the stage? And I, and I remember my dad saying something to the effect of, hey, that, that's a nice thought, nice sentiment, but I'm no great man of God. There, there's no one great other than, other than Jesus. And then he moved on into his talk. It is so easy for us, without realizing it, to place others into a, a position of spiritual authority or honor or placing ourselves in there and not realize the impact that that can have. And Jesus is saying, be real careful with this. It's not just something that happens in the religious world. It can happen everywhere all the time. And I think his point is to say, whatever role, whatever position you've been gifted with, whatever opportunity you've been afforded, use that to be a servant. If you're a nurse, if you're a teacher, if you're a CXO, if you're a software engineer, if you're a parent, if you're a manager, if you're a vice president, use whatever role God gives you to be a servant, to look to serve. Don't fall into the religious mindset trap, he's saying. Don't, don't give in. <laughs> be careful not to fall into the trap that we so easily fall into of just seeing whatever position we're in, whatever influence we have, and without realizing it, just equating that in our minds as, oh, we're somehow superior to those around us or more inherently special and again you don't need to look only at the religious world to see where that rears its head it happens everywhere all the time the greatest among you will be your servant for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted it was really fun when we first decided that we we're going to do this new series I told the team the staff that we were going to do a follow-up series to explore God, and we ended on with God, okay? Just this idea of like, okay, we've explored God. Now what does life with God look like at the, at the core uh, fundamental level? And uh, one of the staff members facetiously said, oh, you know what we could do? We can call the next series Leveling Up Your Christianity. <laughs> Upgrading Your Faith. <laughs> Glad you're laughing. We all laughed. Because this person was obviously being sarcastic to say that that's the complete opposite of what it's about. And Jesus says it here. He says, the way to go up is to go low and serve. You want to you become more of a follower of mine, Jesus said? Look to serve. Look to serve people, which is obviously very counterintuitive to how this world works. Even as Jesus says, hey, this is actually how the world works, both now and, and into eternity. Uh, you know, the promise is for this life. He says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. I love watching sports games with my 12-year-old son. Love it. Because uh, not only is it just fun, but I also just kind of see life through his eyes as he's just like watching TV and we're talking about things together and he just kind of shares his thoughts. Well, the other day we were watching an NBA basketball game and one of the players made a really good play. They, I don't know, they slam dunked, did something. But this player on the other team uh, just started celebrating, right? Flexing, just like showboating the whole nine yards. And Caleb looked at me and he's like, Dad, I don't know why he's doing that. I'm like, tell me about it. Why, why do you think that way? He's like, well, he's just putting a big target on his back. He just put it in a bit, like, why would he do that? The very next play, this guy goes down to the other side of the court, and our guy, what's known as posterized him. 
They have a word in NBA vernacular where if you dunk on somebody so hard and somebody happens to capture that moment when it happens, it's going to be placed on a poster. So this guy got posterized. Our guy just dunked on him so much. You get what I'm saying? And, my, and Caleb was over there like, see? Shouldn't have, shouldn't have celebrated. It's a fun, trivial example but it really is true. It's not meant to be a formula, but it really is true. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. That's true in this life. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. I came across a book not too long ago, and its whole thesis was, guys, you'll never believe it, but if you give to others, it actually works out really good for you. So you should give to others. I'm sure maybe, maybe I won't say the name of the book, but I'm sure many of you guys have read it. Um, you got to read the, you got you to you help people because it's not always true, but it's very often true. If you, as you help people, they'll help you in the future. Do it, do it. And I'm having a chuckle as I read this. For the first part of like understanding, I'm chuckling because, well, God designed it in a way like that. Again, not a formula, but in a way like, hey, as you give to others, uh, it, it is a blessing. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. There is something to that. But I was also chuckling slash crying as I was reading this thought. Because the point is not, therefore, to do this. Give to others so that it'll go better for you. The purpose of it is to do it because this is who you're made to be. This is the image in which you and I were created in. We follow a giving God, a serving God. Therefore, we serve. Now, Jesus says it'll work better for you. It will, you will be, as you humble yourself, you will be exalted. So there's that, even as it's not a formula. We're called, we're called to do this. And it's, it's a promise for this life. It's a pro- Ultimately, it's a promise for the next life. It's not meant to be a formula in this life. It's not always true. And by the way, religious leaders sometimes use that as a formula. Give, and so that, you, know, you probably turn on the TV right now and see some te- televangelists telling you that. But it's not just the religious mindset. We can very easily ourselves, you're saying, look at this example, understand that this happens in your own heart. But the promise is true that as you do, as you, do, as you humble yourself, even more than in this life, infinitely more, given the time factor, you will be exalted. God sees it. He'll reward you. But the main point, the main thought, is we don't just do it in order to be rewarded, although that's part of it. The main purpose of all of this is it allows us, it allows us to begin to join God with his work that he's actively doing and wants us to be a part. We get to be a part in an intimate way of what God is doing in the world around us when we live out these things and we lean into the gospel. And religion, as we've defined it here, and as Jesus talked about it then, gets in the way of that. Or worse, pushes people in the opposite direction. We're called to love because God first loved us. Here's the problem. Here's how we contribute to the problem. Here's the solution. Okay, the gospel is we get to join the Lord in his work and what he's doing. We talk about this whole idea of living for the audience of one. Thank God that Jesus lived for the audience of one. He had plenty of times, plenty of temptations to give into living for, out of the approval for others. Many times. One of the ones that I find most fascinating is if you read the scripture accounts of his life, there were plenty of times where the, the, the crowds would come and try to make Jesus king. Essentially, they were saying to him, Jesus, we got the numbers. You got the numbers. Say the word and we'll make you king. Let's do this. We can do it. They're probably right. And yet Jesus always said to them, no, 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 no. That's not why I came. I did not come to be a king in this world. And thank God he wasn't living for their approval. In fact, even his disciples were like, why wouldn't you do that? You know how many people we could help, Jesus, if you became king? And actually, at one point, Jesus said to his main disciple when he said that to him, get behind me, Satan. 
Jesus wasn't living for the approval of others. Thank God he wasn't living for the approval of others because if he had been made king, we would have still been lost in our sin and separation from God. Jesus didn't come for a throne in this life, in this world. He came for the cross. He came living for the audience of one. And thank, thank God he did that. By the way, he even lived up to the disapproval of these very religious leaders who you would have thought throughout history could have shaped his legacy. Jesus was living for the audience of one he calls us to. And then when it comes to looking to be a servant, oh my goodness, one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it's just so out of this world, mind-boggling, is Jesus said at one point, do not think, referring to himself, that the Son of Man came to be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom. We look to serve because we, we follow serving God. Jesus came to serve. He had every right, by the way, to look at us from a, a stance of spiritual superiority. He could have done that righteously. We do that self-righteously, wouldn't you say? He could have righteously said, yeah, I'm a kind of bigger deal than you. And yet even he didn't come to be served. He came to serve. So God calls us to follow him and what he's done for us. And guess what? As you mess up, which you will, which I will, as you, don't, as you live for the approval of others, as you fail to be a servant, you live a little bit more selfishly than you care, you care to wish to, that's where the Lord meets you with his love and grace. We repent, which means we, we call it wrong. We confess, which means we ask God's forgiveness for it. And we, together with him, begin to live increasingly into this gospel that he calls us to. Remember, remember, remember the gospel, not religion, which is so easily, so, it's, it's so easy to veer into, even for people who've been calling Jesus for, for many, many years. One last thought, and actually the band can come up if you guys want to as I'm sharing this thought. We'll share this while we close. Um, if you look at your text, if you happen to have a physical Bible in front of you, if you look right after our text, we, we did Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. If you look at verses 13 and onward, you see that Jesus actually goes on to pull off all the gloves. Uh, he starts talking very directly and explicitly at the Pharisees, the religious leaders. He starts saying all these woes about them. He kind of goes at them. He doesn't love, but he's, like, he's calling them out very, very directly. And one of the words that he uses repeatedly to describe these guys is, is blind. He says, you blind Pharisees. You blind guides. And I think in that word, we have both a warning and an invitation. The warning is, guys, it is really easy to be blind to all the things we're talking about here. It is really, it, by definition, we are unaware, we don't see religion and this religious mindset living out in us and affecting those around us just naturally. We're blind to it. So that's also the invitation, though. The invitation is, to, is with the gospel posture to go, I'm just going to go ahead and assume I'm probably doing these things. Where, oh Lord, am I veering into religion, this religious mindset of a trap where I'm trying to get you into my favor? I'm trying to avoid your disfavor out of trying to garner your love. And I'm feeling a heavy burden because of that. Where am I, Lord, really actually looking for the approval of others? And, inf and it, to the degree it's, inf it's influencing the way I love and lead them, to the degree it's coming out sideways with those around me because I'm frustrated and stressed out about it or whatever. And where am I not looking to serve? Where am I, where am I naturally, if anything, looking to serve my own needs, my own wants before others, using my, the influence I've gotten, and I even see it that way, not something you gave me, but 
We're going to start to release this. I think that's what the Lord calls us into with this text. It's an ongoing thing, but it's humbling us back to the gospel, the good news that there's nothing we can do to make God love us any more, as there's also nothing we can do to make God love us any less. Let's pray.